Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, today we'll be unpacking all of the Schmodown action from the month of July 2019, brought to you by Mike Kalinowski. Uh, Scott, before we get to that, how are you doing? That was a nice intro. I didn't see that one coming. That was good. Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I can't complain. I... We're obviously recording this a little bit before it drops, but I'm a week away from going on vacation, getting our summer break in, and I'm excited to uh, catch up on the new month's episodes of the Shimano that I have not seen, but I am up to date for our discussion on the podcast today. And it's been a, it's been a banger of a month. Coming into the month, I was very pro-Mike, and we uh, really came out of it pro-Mike as well, because it's, it's been all Mike Kalinowski this past month. It certainly has. Um, and, you know, that, of course, is no better defined than by the San Diego Comic-Con live event, which is where we can start our discussion today as we usually uh, begin with the live event. Um, and as I said, this one was at San Diego Comic-Con at the Joan B. Crock Theater, which was apparently uh, in a church. Uh, there was some kind of debate about whether or not this was actually a church, but there was like a chapel in it. Um, and apparently some people were uh, not happy with the fact that the crew bought alcohol and then Roxy was... Uh, smoking from her pen and some other guy saw her smoking and was like, well, I can do it. Started smoking himself and then got thrown out. Um, so I don't think they'll be returning to the Joan B. Croc theater. However, um, you know, the crew did say that it was one of their favorite live events because it was a lot uh, smaller and more intimate. Uh, you know, the, the people who were there were the true Schmodown fans because of course with San Diego comic-con going on, you know, if you're not a, a Schmodown devotee, I imagine you had other priorities, especially with the Marvel panel being that night. Um, it did take somewhat of an effort to get from uh, Hall H over to um, where the Schmodown was being held at the John V. Croc Theater. Uh, so, but but it, it sounds like it was a good atmosphere, and you know, it certainly I certainly recognized a few faces on the uh, the live stream in the in the crowd. So uh, I'm sure it was a lusty, if small, audience. Um, but Scott, for that. Uh, that live event card we of course had two intergeekdom matches uh to honor comic-con the undercard being adam Lavick versus kevin smetz and let's start there of course this was smetz's first match uh since he lost that heartbreaker to mike kalinowski um and he was taking on Lavick, who was coming off of a win against eric zipper in intergeekdom and played really well in that match uh, but once again, Scott, I don't know if Smets has some sort of psychological effect on his opponents or if he's just really good at making the wheel uh, cur- curse his opponents because uh, this was another knockout for Kevin Smets. Um, as he, we've seen him do uh, with several of the Intergeekdom big hitters, including uh, Hector Navarro, former Intergeekdom champion, of course. In that match, we saw Hector spin, I believe it was also Middle Earth, um, which was his worst category. And the same fate befell uh, Adam Hlavik in this match. He got Middle Earth in that second round after a fairly close first round. And when you combine his missed answers with, of course, Smets stealing just about every question, um, it was really kind of a formality once it went over to Smets and he was able to put the game away in the second round. You know, we expected that he would win this match, but uh, again, showing how dominant he is and I think showing how significant the gap is between that top three in the intergeekdom division and everybody else. Would you agree, Scott? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I would. <laughs> this is further cementing the notion that there's the big three of inner geekdom, and then there's everyone else. Obviously, a huge question mark with what happens at the end of the title match, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll see a, a fourth uh, element be introduced into this top tier of inner geekdom competitors. But it is right now. It is Rachel Cushing. It's Mike Kalinowski. And it's Kevin Smets. And then it's everyone else. And there's just no one touching them. It's incredible what Kevin Smets is able to do. And there, I think there definitely is this way of Kevin Smets of you just, you are, he's so smart at, I mean, at everything, period, right? But also what he knows. And he just jumps on top of you. There's no way of escaping. Every time you miss a question, that's a point stolen in round two. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how good he is at stealing points. I'd love to see his steal conversion rate. It's probably better than anyone else. Maybe in the Schmodown period, with the exception of maybe Alex Damon, I don't know. But it's it's incredible what he's able to do, and he just piles it on in, in round two, and and that's how he gets so many KOs. There's no there's no question about it. He's just always in the zone. Then he never really has a bad round one either. And and if you can't keep up with him, um, like Mike Kalinowski was able to do, of course, then you find yourself falling behind, and then all of a sudden, everyone except Kalinowski in his first match against David Moore have been pure knockouts. Uh, David Moore being a TKO, but it's it's crazy what he's been able to do. And it, I think it even puts into greater perspective what Mike Kalinowski was able to do by besting him, even if maybe you could say Smets choked a little bit in that match. Of course, Mike had to earn it. And he, I mean, Smets showed that, you know, he, he still is the real deal that that loss to Kalinowski hasn't completely thrown him off his game. If anything, it's only sharpened him. And uh, you feel bad for Lavic. There's definitely some bad luck involved. I don't want to say, Adam Lavic is so much worse than everyone else. There is an element of of bad luck with the wheel here, uh, like several uh, competitors who went up against Kets, Kevin Smetza before him, like you noted. But it just goes to show that you have to be like Mike Kalinowski or like Rachel Cushing. You have to be good in every category in order that this doesn't happen to you when you're facing Kevin Smets. Yeah, I think the other thing about Smets too is just the Zen-like focus that he has, and of course the you know his dungeon training techniques is are now well known. And I think just knowing you know that alone that that's the way that he trains is uh, is going to strike some fear into the hearts of um, whoever he's going up against. And I think you know the the Kalinowski match, the thing that um, that hurt him was that sort of that Zen-like state was a little broken because of. Uh, tenth round five right, round the stakes five of the, or three round three was the stakes of the match how much both competitors really wanted it how close it was the whole time uh, i think smets maybe lost his focus on getting the questions and uh maybe was focusing more on trying winning the match um and that caused his little slip up which apparently cost him but i do think that you know if if he gets if and when he gets his chance at uh at the big hitters again um he uh, is not going to suffer from the same mistakes or he's going to, he's going to take a different approach to the match and probably not let his emotions quite get the best of him uh, when yeah. that time does come around again. Yeah. I mean, it, I stand firmly behind that his time as champion will come and it's just a matter of when, when it will happen, not if, and when I say when it will happen, like, will it happen this year? Will he be the intergeekdom champion come the end of the Schmodon spectacular this year? That's the, I think that's the only question mark. And when he becomes a, a champion because Mike Kalinowski and Rachel, I mean, Rachel hasn't played him obviously, but you, you're not able to beat Kevin Smets 10 times out of 10. Let's put it that way. That's very true. 
Uh, and Scott, you know, we talked about the big three in the intergeekdom and how there is just a huge gap between the top and the bottom. I think the downside is that, you know, when you get below that big three, there's not a whole lot of competition. But the upside is that when those people in that upper echelon face off, uh, it's almost always a banger of a match. And we certainly got another, yet another banger of a match between Cushing and Kalinowski. It really does feel like these intergeekdom title matches over the past year or so have uh just they're been. grand slam tennis matches yeah um, you know even the number one contender match between mara and and rachel last year was was incredible um yeah. or the tournament match whatever it was it was um, the semifinals it wasn't even number one contender right because then she uh she faced uh mike, mike. in the finals um okay yeah but so the the title match um was was an instant classic between kalinowski and cushing uh huge momentum swings in this match um yep. KO looked like he was dead and buried at one point, um, but was able to come back with a really strong wheel round. I believe he uh, he picked up some points in the betting round as well on Rachel. He, he picked up the most points you could pick right. up in the betting round. Yeah. And then uh, kept his momentum going through the speed round um, and came down to that final question, of course. Actually, did he have two questions to win it? Yeah, I think I think I think he did. I mean, that's the thing. You talk about him looking dead and buried. That was exactly the the case in yeah. February in the in the Schmidt on Throwdown when he when they faced off for the first. For, I guess what was the second time they faced off in Intergeekdom, and he looked you know dead to rights like partway through the match and just came roaring back. Obviously, that one went to overtime, but then this one he fully turned the tide of the battle. There'll always be naysayers and question marks around Rachel Cushing at a live event, but I just think it was Mike and that complete swing of momentum that you saw specifically in the betting round. Yeah. Once again, the emotion really getting to him. I mean, he was standing up. He was almost breaking down before the last question was even asked yeah. uh, because he could sense that he was close to victory. Uh, and, you know, he was finally able to get over that hump uh, and beat Rachel. Obviously, Rachel, uh, a huge fan favorite, you know, gr- has done wonders for the faces in this league. But I do think that the, you know, even though he has, he has flirted with being a heel, uh, over the past year, I think that the sentiments were with Mike in this match just because, uh, you know, he hadn't overcome that mountain and he worked really hard. And uh, it was nice to see all of his effort come to fruition. And of course, he and his uh, girlfriend, Shannon, embraced on the stage afterwards. And it was it was a really nice moment for Kalinowski and uh, a nice moment for the Schmodown in general, seeing a classy tournament uh, title match Um between you know two great champions um you know kalinowski as much as he may want to be a heel i think uh you know this is something that many people have said but he's just too nice of a guy and uh you see that in matches like this where um you know he he did the opposite of gloating about his win uh he had nothing but respect and and great words for uh rachel cushing uh so the the classiest heel yeah no no doubt i mean every match now i think all the pretenses are dropped he's decided to to not even have the heel shtick anymore when he wins matches he shakes or hugs every single person's uh that that he shakes their hand or hugs them every single person that he plays every division um and it's just uh, that's clearly just who he is which is awesome he's a clearly a, a really great guy yeah, and uh, we we know more about who his next challenger is going to be as well, Scott, sure. because uh, we had a little uh, kayfabe at the end of this event. Uh, surprising moment, um, not something that we expected, uh, because of course Mara Kanopic had been out of the league for uh, you know co- coming close to a year now, um, and I you know I don't know the, 
it wasn't very publicized about when or even if she was going to be back in the Schmodown, because obviously she had uh, some very personal reasons for stepping away uh, after the Schmodown Spectacular last year. And it was just kind of an ugly scene what, what did happen in that match, uh, post that match, um, with her having to step away and the car accident and everything that led up to that. Uh, so it was nice. And just a quick note there, I think honestly, it was probably that final match too that if I had to take a guess, made Kalinowski kind of drop the gloating shtick because he did gloat about it. And I think it was specifically because his character and it eventually like that is, I think that was the kind of final, final hair that broke the camel's back, so to speak for Mara. And obviously I think it was so much more that led into it than that to what you're alluding to. But I, I think that probably had an effect on Mike and probably changed how he approached, you know, his character, especially winning and losing matches. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, I don't think that that Mike should change his character based on the reaction that one person has. But again, maybe that's the the nice guy in him, right? That he saw that maybe Mara was genuinely uh, perturbed about the way he was acting in that match. And uh, so he just couldn't help himself but to, to sort of change there. But nevertheless, uh, Mara is back now. Uh, and of course, because Mike took that crown off of her at the Schmodown Spectacular last year, she was entitled, well, there's some debate about whether she was entitled to an automatic rematch, but for all extents and purposes, she was entitled to an automatic rematch, and she uh, she has invoked the right to that rematch at the San Diego Comic-Con event and will be facing off against Mike Kalinowski in a title match. Is that at the Spectacular? I believe it is, correct? You, you tell me. I didn't even know it was confirmed. I, I The way that they leave it on the stage is that Mike isn't necessarily That's accepting true. that title rematch. I, it wouldn't surprise me if you get some sort of mini gauntlet uh, you know, a la the singles gauntlet we're going to talk about here in a, se- in a little bit uh, to between her, Rachel and Smets. Well, ju- just to see. I think the problem with that is the scheduling purposes at this point. And I do think that Christian, I'm pretty sure Christian has said that the tournaments are going to get us all the way to the spectacular. So I think that either, you know, we're not going to see Intergeekdom for a while, obviously. And I think that either he's going to accept this match or, something else is going to happen that's going to give us either a number one contender or um, title match at the Spectacular. And I imagine Mara is 100% going to be involved in some way. So I feel like we are going to see this match, but we'll see. That would be crazy to me if Kevin Smith doesn't get another title shot this year, like doesn't get the chance to win another title shot this year. I mean, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, Obviously, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. I would just really shock me if we don't see another match between you know, some of the, some composition of these people before the spectacular. I know that, I mean, if if the tournaments get us all the way there, the tournaments get us all the way there, but that would, I mean, that just is a little surprising to me. Yeah. But I I do kind of think that's what's going to happen because the spectacular is earlier this year. It's December 7th, where it's usually a little bit later in the month. And I think that, um, you know, maybe what we'll see is maybe we'll see two intergeekdom matches at the spectacular because it has been so long. Maybe we'll see like a Mike Mara title match and we'll see Smets mm-hmm. play against Rachel in a number one contender match. And then that would put yep. Smets possibly to get the first title shot in line to get the first title shot in season seven. Yeah, I think that's a great point because then you could have a then you could have a match card for the opening live event of the sure. year and whether it's New York, wherever it's at, where you have, you know, double main event with the intergeekdom and singles title match or whatever you end up having to be. Yeah. So maybe that's what we will end up seeing, but that is the future of the inner geekdom uh, division at this point. Of course, we didn't have any more inner geekdom matches um, 
this month to talk about. So, uh, and it seems like, well, we will have a couple of matches the next, next month coming up with, uh, we have a, yeah. a three-way match coming up and then, uh, Brandon Hanna and Emily Rose Jacobson are going to face off. Jared Haben is also going to get a match. So we'll we'll see a few more matches yep. in August. But uh, I don't think anything with title implications will be coming up until the spectacular. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, these matches got to be going somewhere. They're not just being played for the sake of playing a match, I don't think. Yeah, that's true. But I think some of these people need to earn up more of a reputation before they can uh, get themselves in in conversation totally brandon Hanna, maybe you know with a win would would be the closest to getting there and you know maybe could get his name in contention for the spectacular maybe you know rachel won't get that automatic number one contender spot um having just lost the title maybe smets and hannah will be facing off at the spectacular who knows yeah maybe you could get some weird three-way of hannah lavick and whoever wins this other yeah. three-way uh oh no that, that, that person's playing hey yeah, yeah so yeah. Haybon versus the winner of the three yeah i could yeah who knows all right, Scott. Well, we will leave the intergeekdom division behind for the time being, uh, and we can move on to the singles division now, where, uh, like the intergeekdom division, we also have a new champion uh, in, I guess you'd have to say, one of the bigger upsets this season. You know, there haven't been a ton of upsets this season, uh, but any time a guy like Dan Merle loses, you'd have to say it's an upset, especially the the run that he had been on uh, this season, and the man who felled him was a rookie, Paulo Yama, uh, you know, coming from the fan leagues, uh, re- really, uh, really proving his worth. Um, not that he hadn't uh, shown what he could do in uh, his previous matches, but obviously his toughest match so far. Um, and he was able to uh, respond to adversity, um, getting down in the match. Um and, you know, that's something that I think is really big for um, a rookie in their first title match, you know, going up against um, the the GOAT, Dan Merlin. Maybe, you know, maybe this is where his fan league experience really helped him out because, you know, of course, he's played in title matches and uh, in some of the other fan leagues like Full Metal and I think Multiplex as well. But And, you know, I, I would, you know, agree with this and a lot of people would attest that uh, full metal and, and you know multiplex too, but especially full metal are are more difficult than than the Schmodown is in terms of the difficulty of their questions. So um, I think Oyama probably had to feel somewhat confident uh, about his chances in this match, just because uh, you know he's played in some you know arguably more difficult title matches in the fan leagues. And so, like I was saying, maybe you know his fan league experience uh, was able to to help him not get rattled when he got down in this match, five points down going into the speed round. But the, you know, that buzz around, as we've seen, uh, you, you can get some quick points. Your opponent can lose points. It can uh, turn a match around really quickly and really change the momentum of the match. And that's what it did here. Um, Oyama was only behind by one point. Then going into that last round, uh, he was able to hit his questions um, and throwing it back to Dan Merle. Actually, he didn't even have to get to his five point question uh, because Dan was, uh, surprisingly unable to get come through on his uh, three and five point question. Uh, Scott, something you picked up on in the match um, was that uh, Dan Merle was a little bit irritated with Paul Yama, it seemed like, um, on his three point question when uh, Dan missed the question and Paul immediately volunteered the answer to the question, which, of course, he knew. And uh, that seemed to, to rattle Dan a little bit. Uh, after the match, he was sort of uncharacteristically flippant, maybe, about the fact that uh, he had lost the match, and uh, I imagine probably, you know, say he's sitting on that title shot still. Uh, we learn now from Robert Ryan Burnett that he will have until next year's free-for-all to use that title shot. Um, 
And so, you know, maybe this is going to encourage him or, or spur him on to get that get back in there quicker than he otherwise would have, because it seems like he was not happy about uh, the way that this match ended up. And, you know, that's easy to expect, um, considering that he had a huge lead going into the last two rounds and uh, did sort of cough it away. You know, you're not going to see Dan Merle miss his three point question very often. Uh, but, you know, luckily for Paul Oyama, uh, it happened on that day and, and Paul still played a great match got the win 20 to 19 and got the first belt for uh du- the dungeon and their manager Kaiser. Uh Scott, what what do you, what did you think about this match and about uh Oyama's run to the title? Yeah, I th- I think it just is, you know, point proven, not only a belt for the dungeon, a, a belt for the for the fan leagues and he's the youngest, he's the youngest belt holder uh, ever and it just proves that you know he's not a fluke like we don't think I mean it certainly doesn't look like he's a fluke. Maybe he had some questionable matches where it could have gone either way, he could have won or could he lost, but he won them and he definitely won this one too. Uh, maybe people will say that I mean I, even I would say it was uncharacteristic for Dan to take his foot off the gas. I've never seen Dan Merrill play like that in a match in the 4th and 5th round where it just seemed like he was playing conservatively and he wasn't completely in the zone anymore. Just something something you know, I don't know if it was in the speed round and how quick uh, Paul was firing off the answers or Dan was just content with his five point lead and thought he could ride the wave over the finish line, but he couldn't and he was wrong and he paid for it. And he wa- it was the, definitely the sorest, uh, the sorest of, of losers that I've seen him when he's lost the match. I mean, well, obviously we saw him lose against uh, Andrew Guy last year and that's when he just raised his hand and said, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really ready to come back. That was, uh, I didn't get, didn't know the answer to the questions and, and Guy beat me in this one. He was very visibly frustrated. It wasn't that he took anything away from Paul's victory, but he certainly had some uh, veteran wisdom to give to Paul to tell him to chill out a bit <laughs> is what it seemed like, uh, which was uh, it's just uncharacteristic. It was odd. We'll see if he gets his head back in the game for next time we see him, because will we? I assume he'll be in the Ultimate Schmidt on Singles Tournament, but if not, I'd expect that he'll be using that title shot uh, come sometime around the Spectacular. And there's just so many storylines going into the singles tournament, the team's tournament and, uh, you know, the spectacular, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel about, you know, you have Bibiani's number one contender still out there. You got Dan Merrill's title shot still out there. They could, I mean, they, these guys could use them for any, for anything, you know? And I think that adds an element of, you know, they could go, they could do some really crazy stuff with the spectacular. They could do some really fun, interesting things with the spectacular. And we'll have to wait and, and see what happens. It, obviously I, it, it's tough to say, so many people, I think, deserve a title who, who haven't necessarily won a title. Oyama certainly deserved it because, yes, Dan Merle maybe fired some blanks at the end of this match, but, you know, Oyama wasn't firing blanks. He knew the answers to his question, and he hung tough, exactly your point. He he showed a, a resolve and a steal that, you know, you don't you don't always see from new competitors, and maybe that is because of the fan leagues. Maybe it's just because it's who he is. I don't know, but he's he has he had that X factor in this match to not be intimidated by a five-point uh, deficit trailing the you know what some consider the best singles player if not the best player of all time and so he did it he has the belt we'll see how long he can hold on to it and scott you know it must be said even though i'm a fan of this faction it seems like the curse of the horseman is back you know this is the the third sort of iteration we've seen of the horseman you can go back to the four horsemen originally uh then we had sort of the original iteration of the five horsemen with uh, matt nost and jason enman in there and now we have uh the new horseman with uh, with ben, ben Bateman and Tom Dagnino joining uh, the ranks. And yeah, you know, Founding Fathers, we'll talk about their match um, in a, in just a bit, but they laid an egg in, in their crucial match. 
Um, and of course, Merle losing the belt now. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Ben Bateman to come out of this gauntlet and, and end up facing uh, uh, Oyama at the New York Live event. But we'll uh, we'll make our predictions for that at the end of this episode. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, uh, moving on to some other action in the uh, singles division. We found out that another person who's going to be in contention for that next shot at Oyama is, guess who, Mike Kalinowski. He uh, went up against Janine the Machine, uh, and in his quest to be uh, Mikey Three Belts, um, he was able to uh, to polish off Janine. Um, you know, I, I will raise my hand and say that I actually thought Janine had, uh, had a good chance in this match. She'd been playing well recently, um, and... Mike, uh, of course, I, I felt like was potentially focused more on the inner geekdom division. But yeah, again, the, the quest for Mikey th- three belts is well and truly alive. Uh, he seems really locked in uh, in all three divisions. Yeah, he's got binders for days. He's got binders for every division. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, round two was tough for Janine in this match. Kalinowski got a couple steals. She had to go to multiple choice um, um, and was, you know, ultimately behind by six points going into that final round. Uh, and, you know, she's had some trouble with with round three in the past. And uh, it plagued her again here with her unable to hit her three or five pointer. D- definitely she'll be probably be disappointed considering how she was playing coming into the match. But, uh, you know, all things considered, she will be in the singles tournament. Uh, and Mike Kalinowski moves on uh, and with another, yet another impressive win. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that Mike was going to come out on this just um just because of knowing how bad he wants something besides the Inner Geekdom. He got, you know, he got his Inner Geekdom title at the end of last season. And I was surprised it took so long to see him in the singles division again, but glad he was. And and he didn't didn't let me down. Uh, didn't did not expect a TKO victory, uh, especially a TKO victory by a four point margin. But that is what happened. And he showed that, you know, he will face stiffer competition in the form of, you know, Ben Bateman. If he gets back him, he'll face Snyder. And then, of course, if he beats Snyder, he'll face Oyama. So he's got stiffer, probably stiffer competition than Janine ahead of him. But, you know, he showed he's not messing around. You always I mean, the round two is, is you know, you live and die by the wheel. You really do. And he got both. I mean, he got spinner's choice and opponent's choice. Right. And no, he, he uncharacteristically didn't wasn't didn't go perfect in bond but still like he's been getting lucky with the wheel a lot recently and it's a question mark in the singles division if he can cover every category on the wheel obviously a lot broader scope uh in 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 the regular divisions here and not outside of inner geekdom but you know if he's able to get a category where he can grind stuff out or even crush you know He's the real deal, and uh, yeah, I'm not too worried about him getting a category that's not as favorable to him because of his round one performances. If his round one performances indicate anything, is that you know he's solid there. He got six points against Janine, and he. Ha- I mean, we'll, again, we'll talk about this match in a second, but he had a perfect round uh, or a perfect match perfect game, in, yeah. in his. In, yeah, perfect game in the in the teams in his teams match against against the founding fathers. Which again, I think they had James Bond again, uh, 007. But still, like he answered all of the round one questions correctly and. I don't remember if it was a TK or not, but got his question right in the third round. So, you know, he's not just a, a one note guy. He's not just intergeeked him. And he's not just bond. He's got more going for him. Of course he'll take bond whenever he can get it, but he can cover, he can cover ground elsewhere too. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if there's going to be, if when we're talking about Mikey three belts, if there's going to be one division that might cause him trouble, I think the teams is probably going to be the most difficult division just because the team's division is so loaded right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's certainly a reality, right? Because he, uh, he's got two more matches, uh, you know, two wins will get him to a title shot in the singles division. Uh, yep. And he's got a, uh, 
they've got a number one contender now, right? In the team's division too. Um, uh, I think, I think he's got a title match. Oh yeah. That was a number one contender. You're right. So yeah. So the, they, he's four matches away from three, from having that's, three belts. That's right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that uh, because obviously they do have a title match now. So in the team division, so uh, maybe that won't be the hardest since uh, all they're going to have to do is beat the Shire Wolves. But of course that is no easy task, but, but the point is they don't have to go through some of these, you know, even some of these new powerhouse teams that we're seeing like, like the loose cannons uh, or like, Okay, I don't know if I call them a powerhouse team. Everyone calm down. Uh, I don't know. They played really well. You got the singles champ on this team, uh, and they scored over 30 points, I believe, in their debut match. So, I mean, I, yes, that and time is machine fair, is another but, to watch. But Corruption scored 32 points and didn't answer, uh, didn't answer the three or the five, so. I, th- I still think it would be a good match, is my point. It would be a competitor. Yes, match. but they're one, they're one match deep. I don't think call them a powerhouse yet. Maybe they'll get there. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Okay, um, another match to talk about. Speaking of uh, the the loose cannons, uh, one of their members, Eric Zipper, went up against uh, Haley Fouch of the Scream Queens, uh, and Scott Eric Zipper was actually able to come out on top in this match. I think we had differing opinions on this match. Since I raised my hand and said I was wrong in that last match, uh, I'm going to raise my hand and say that I was right on this match because I did uh, pick mm-hmm. Zipper. I believe you went with Fouch. Yep, and. Zipper, uh, you know, was able to continue the momentum that he has had really since uh, since joining the dungeon. Um, he had I will say he had a pretty easy uh, round three um, with uh, this question about the big sick that that ended up being a lot easier maybe than it should have been. And he missed his three point question. Yeah, my bad. It was a five pointer, right? That's why it was so uh, absurd that the question was really just. Yeah, no, I was just saying he he. He missed his three-point yeah. question, so he, he didn't run the board. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Um, but yeah, so his five-point question was just who was the female lead in the big sick, which pretty easy five-point question. But, you know, there's nothing he can do about that, right? Like, you know, except answer it correctly. And he did that. Uh, Haley Fouch played competitively in the match, uh, still a very good player, came down to the last question, uh, but uh, she was unable to uh, to to pull it out. Uh, it's, it was sudden death. Oh, that's right, yeah. And and Mark Strong, I, I forget what the movie was, uh, what the what movie the question was about, uh, but it was about who played the villain in some movie, I believe. Uh, Mark Strong was the mm-hmm. answer, which uh, Z Man was able to pull. Uh, yeah, forgot that this match went to sudden death. So it was a good one. They're both good players. We'll see both of them in the singles tournament. In fact, we will see Haley Fouch um, at the New York Live event, playing her her first round match against Ethan Irwin. Uh, I. Don't think she's going to come out on top in that one, but she has shown she can compete. And Zipper, you know, this is a big win for him because uh, he hasn't really proven himself in singles uh, thus far. Um, and I think he showed here that, you know, may- maybe he's not quite in the upper echelon of singles players yet, but I could see him being the type of player who pulls off uh, an upset in the first round of the Ultimate Schmodown potentially. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've seen the full draw for the for the full singles tournament, who he's going to be playing, but... You know, if he gets one of those, you know, middle of the seeds matches and you know, even if he's the lower, even if he's the, or I guess the, the higher seed, that's the better way to put it. The, even if he is the underdog in that match, I think that he could pull something out based on this performance. Yeah. So maybe we will see Zipper pull off an upset. You know, I personally, I do hope for some upsets because uh, we haven't seen a lot this year. And, you know, one of the things that made that ultimate Schmodown a couple years ago so exciting was all of the upsets. I mean, JTE and Sam Levine, good players. You know, Sam Levine obviously would become one of the greatest. Uh, but at that point, they were middle of the road seeds. And 
uh, had to pull off some upsets to get there. Levine knocked off Bibiani in the first round, which was an upset, and JTE knocked out McQueenie. Of course, we had uh, Mark Ellis getting knocked out by uh, Stacey Howard. Uh, Clark Wolf got knocked out by Brianne Chandler. Uh, so it was just upsets all over the place. And, uh, you know, that's fun to me uh, because I do like to see some some other players get a chance at the title. So maybe Zipper will be able to make that run. I'd be surprised, but, you know, I was surprised at how that ultimate showdown shook out, too. Uh, but, Scott, at this point, I think we can move on to the teams division, final division we're going to discuss today. Um, and we'll start with that number one contender match that we've already alluded to. Founding Fathers against Corruption, obviously a big-time grudge match. Uh, these two teams met in the Anarchy Tournament last year, and there was bad blood, to say the least, that surrounded this match, and the famous David O. Russell gaffe uh, and that allowed Corruption to get the win. Uh, Founding Fathers came into this match on a pretty good run, and I know they were hoping to get uh, their revenge on Corruption and, and then get their chance at the Shire Wolves. You know, John Roca has said... Uh, maybe the last thing in this league that he still wants to accomplish um, is to win a title with uh, Dan Merle. And and certainly on paper, you would think that this team, uh, you know, is certainly made, made of uh, the, the type of stuff which uh, can get a title. Uh, but they certainly didn't show that in this match. Roca really struggled in this match. You know, I, I personally, after the match, I, I think, I don't know if I said this to you, but I definitely thought it that, you know, maybe he's going to be forced into retirement sooner than he w- would have liked because it really it just really wasn't the the John Roca of old. Um, they had a, a, a 10 point deficit uh, going into the final round. Uh, again, um, corruption did get that James Bond in round two. So, of course, they were able to run the table there. But uh, founding fathers did allow a steal that was pretty huge and, and really sort of let the wind out of their sails. They could have cut it to a six point game where, you know, you thought maybe they uh they would have had a chance in round three, uh, but instead it ended up a 10 point game and they had to get all three of their questions right just to tie the match. And they were able to do that. Uh, but again, when you're facing a team like Corruption, uh, they're not going to miss three questions a row in a row in round three. Um, and turns out they didn't even miss one. Uh, Mike was able to put away the two point question and Corruption got the win. They'll move on to face the Shire Wolves uh, and the Founding Fathers, you know, of course, th- we also have to consider that uh, the title shot with Dan Merle could come into play with the Founding Fathers as well. Um, he could always use it uh, for the team as well. But, you know, after this match, I'm not sure if uh, if they're going to be able to to hold up against uh, the, the Shire Wolves or whoever eventually is going to claim that team title. I think maybe Merle might be better served using it on himself. Yeah, I, I think Dan Merle's response to this match is always as encouraging as he is to Roca. Uh, and is a great teammate to him after the match. I can't imagine that this this match inspired confidence in him for for him to use the title shot uh, for the for the teams for the teams division, especially when you know he trusts himself. He can rely on himself in the singles division. Why not go that direction if you're if you're Dan Merle? Because yeah, it, I know we talked last month about Roca in the manager in this you know manager bowl two. Uh, in this new format where he was representing the five horsemen, of course, and Tom Degnigo and, and how, you know, lackadaisical it seemed to he, he of an approach he took it, he took to that match. And I'm not saying that he was that way in this match, but you wonder if that mentality trickled over in, into this match because he wasn't as sharp as you'd expect someone who's, you know, widely considered one of the, uh, one of the people on the Mount Rushmore of the Schmodown uh, to, to, to perform because it wasn't up to par. Yes, absolutely. You have to give, you have to know that, you know, corruption got bond. They got all 12 points, but that happens sometimes. And 
you know, their their collective round one of 11 points isn't good enough when you're facing against the best teams in the league. Like the best teams are going to be scoring 14, 15 points, which is what uh, Mike and Chance did. And then Mike got that bonus point to get them to 16 points for round one. And then they're already in a five point hole. And then the very next thing that happens when you spend James Bond, you know, all of a sudden you're down by 17 points and you know what's and from there, even if you can get all 12 points, it's a huge deficit to climb back from. And then you're absolutely right. Then the real nail in the coffin came, came with that steal that, that, that uh two point steal, the last question of, of round two. And I mean, they were, they already felt like they were pretty much dead to rights in that round. And that was just confirmation of that. Yeah. Uh, I guess founding fathers probably will be in the, the team's tournament. I would say, um, I would think so. If it's 16 teams, if that is what it's going to be, then I yeah. don't know how they aren't in the tournament. And, and, you know, again, on paper, you, you would like their chances, but there are just so many strong teams um, in the league now. And, yeah. you know, featuring rising stars. So, you know, we talk about the loose cannons with Oyama and Zipper. You talk about the time machine with Ethan Irwin and Janine. You, you know, you talk about some of these teams. Uh, you just wonder if maybe founding fathers this was going to be their best chance maybe they maybe they missed their chance and uh it's going to be an uphill road to them to the title now if merle doesn't use that title shot yeah i mean maybe that's true uh that one say they scored 30 points still like they did still score 30 that's points true. it wasn't it wasn't their best performance of all time but they went up against a corruption that was a complete like mike kalinowski was a complete buzzsaw in this match didn't miss a single question absolutely crushed it and it is true that you know, the, you know, teams like the Shire Wolves and the Odd Couple are scoring 30 plus points in every single round, but it's not like they completely laid a goose egg. I think it was just because they it, it felt so lopsided because they were down 30 to 20 going into that final round. But it was the position they found themselves in. They And maybe they they made it look better than it actually yeah. was because they scored all 10 points in round three. And, you know, you take that away and it, it was a little bit of a lackluster match. But, you know, it, it's hard to say that it that you know, they're over the hump when you score 30 points in a match, but maybe there are certain nuances there that lean more towards your point, but I still want to put things in perspective and say, you know, they scored 30 points. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. I think you can make a solid argument either way, um, you know, that this team is dead or that this team, you know, still has a lot of life left, but we'll find out in the tournament, I guess. Uh, Scott, another team's match that we got uh, was uh, another one that we've alluded to here between two brand new teams, the Loose Cannons and the Looney Bin. The Looney Bin, of course, made up of Video Drew uh, Grant, who had something of an inauspicious debut uh, in the singles division uh, with her her very strange character. And she, you know, continued that into her team's match here with an equally strange partner who is known simply as Tom. But Scott, I think something that neither you or I or, or probably most people who watched this match saw coming was that Tom is actually an incredible player at trivia, at least after this uh, this first match, it seems like. And he got a perfect round in round one. Uh, they almost had a perfect round two. And, you know, against a lesser team, they might have run away with this match. Uh, just honestly, just on the strength of, of Tom's performance, I think Video Drew was was a little bit helpful in round two, but didn't have the strongest round one. But, you know, unfortunately for them, they were facing uh, a team that also had a really strong match. Uh, Paul Oyama himself getting a, uh, a perfect round in round one. Um, and, you know, they were able to pull out that five point question in the end. Uh, it did come down to the end. Uh, and, and Eric Zipper was actually the one who who pulled out the answer to that five point question, sending okay. it over to the Looney Bin. And, you know, a match that it kind of felt like, uh, you know, 
they dominated only because of uh, you know the the surprise element and the fact that Tom was getting every single question right. It did seem a little harsh on them in the end, but uh, they weren't able to pull this five question five point question out, and uh, and loose cannons were able to pick up the win in their very first uh, teams match for the dungeon. And Scott, maybe this is an example of one of those teams that uh, is going to prove to be really one dimensional. Um, with, with, you know, video drew being sort of an average player and, and Tom being, uh, you know, definitely above average. Uh, but I do think that this match, they were a little bit unlucky in this match because they did do so well in rounds one and two. They just, uh, were a little bit let down in round three. Yeah. I, I mean, so actually they did score a perfect round in round two. They, uh, they did go six for six in modern classics. They didn't have the perfect 12 though. Sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah, they did. Oh, you're right. They no. did have 12. Yeah. No, they had an 11 point lead after that because they were down yeah, one yeah, yeah. going into round two. No. So Tom, I mean, missed the bonus point question in round one. But other than that was perfect, you know, all the way through, I think, because he got the two point question right. Video Drew missed the obsolete three point question because they were down by four um, after after the loose cannons is five point question. They were down by four. So, I mean. I don't think she knew it, but it didn't matter because ultimately it came down to the five point and they just couldn't pull it. So it was an outstanding performance from Tom and it, the fa- like how good Tom was almost overshadowed video drew. And, you know, as much as I don't really love this character all that much, it, it's always tough having a partner like Tom who pretty like besides the bonus question in round one and the five point question in round three was completely perfect. And it made it, it made video drew look like she was really holding the team back <laughs> even though she got six out of eight in round one. And obviously, I mean, whether or not she knew any of the answers to the modern classic questions, we don't know because Tom was just rattling off the answers left and right. But it, it, it was an interesting dynamic there because Tom was so good and it was hard to tell whether or not video drew, you know, how much better than video drew that he was because it, we just, it's and sometimes in teams, your partner can just uh, carry the load, whether you could have also done that or not. Uh, and, in some ways, the loose cannons got a little bit lucky. They they struggled. A little, I mean, Zipper did better than Video Drew in round one, which is why they had their one point lead. But then in round two, they really they struggled a little bit. Four for six on Clint Eastwood, which wasn't one of their strengths, only getting seven points out of that. So they were down four heading into round three. Uh, one of the bigger comeback wins of the year for round three, yeah. I think it's fair to say. And yeah, you absolutely. I'm sure it was a huge confidence booster for Zipper to you know to see that five point conversion on a question that wasn't who was the lead in uh, a movie. <laughs> so it, it was a good pull. It was a good performance. And I think they'll take some confidence, but you know, to your point earlier, I think I'm going to, I'm going to hold my uh, judgment on whether or not they're a top tier team yet. Um, and as far as the Looney bin goes, you know, even though they don't have a win, they are zero and one with the tournament being 16 teams. I think it would be a shame if they didn't make it. And I feel like we probably will see this team in the tournament. Uh, but I don't know. I'd have to sit down and look at the full list of teams because I'm sure there are more teams than than I'm just thinking about. Like you know, teams like Crimson Fury, for example. Who knows whether they'll be in the tournament uh, given you know Tim Franco's availability? Uh, but it may be that there are just too many teams and they can't get in there with an 0 and 1 record. But I think they are deserving of another shot. I think they are deserving of a shot uh, in that tournament. And again, maybe they're a team that could pull off an upset coming in at an 0 and 1 record. Uh, you know, maybe they would get a lower seed. Uh, but their record perhaps not reflecting what exactly they can do. Um, and maybe they can pull off an upset, but we will see what happens with them in the tournament. 
Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, obviously, there, to your point, the Crimson Fury, there's a question mark around that. But, you know, in the rankings for the teams division, there's only 16. Well, I guess there's technically 17 if you count the Shire Wolves as the champions. But there's only 16 teams ranked. This, you know, this team, the Looney Bin, is not one of them. Oh, okay. uh, but that, but the rankings also include, you know, teams like Double Toasted. You know, and we know that Late to the Party and the Wild Bears are going to be in it because they have a first round match in 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 Arizona. Is that a tournament match? I, I assumed that it was. I don't I don't know. Yeah, you might be right. I, I don't know. For some reason, I thought maybe it wasn't. But I mean, that would make sense. And I, I would expect that both of them would be in it. So yeah. yeah, it probably is. And it also includes kind of funny. Like, I don't know if any of these teams are actually going to be there. No. So it would be a little surprising uh, if they didn't get into the tournament, even with an own run record. And we also because we also know that the Paddington two, even with a, you know, one and two or a one and three record, I think it's one and two that we know that they're going to be in the tournament. And we yeah. don't know what their seating will be. But uh, they're going to be in the tournament. And um, it's a strong. It is strong up and down, one to sixteen. But if we are putting sixteen teams in the tournament, it's it's hard to not see this team making it. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, because there's no way that like double toasted is going to be in it, and I'd be really surprised if if kind of funny was in it uh, as well. Yeah. So yeah, we'll probably see them. But Scott, talking of the Paddington two, who you mentioned there, uh, who I am now dubbing the the unluckiest team perhaps in the Schmodown, as unlucky as the Looney Bin maybe was in their first match. Uh, the Paddington 2 have had a, a really rough go of it in uh, their previous two matches. Uh, and right at the start of the month, we saw them take on uh, the Time Machine, making their long-awaited debut, that, of course, being Ethan Irwin and Janine the Machine. A really, 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 really good match uh, with high quality from uh, from both teams. Um, as you come to expect, you know, I think Paddington 2 are really under-the-radar team uh, because Matt and Alonzo probably aren't around the Schmodown as much as uh, certainly as Ethan and Janine, um, but they definitely know their stuff. Um, and that was really clear uh, from this match. It was tied at 19, uh, you know, really high scoring going into the last round. And eventually it ended up going to sudden death. Um, mm -hmm. Ethan was able to pull out uh, an answer on the five point question to send this match to sudden death. And we we went two rounds of sudden death uh, before Matt Atchity was unable to pull out an answer about do gray scott um again Mission impossible to villain yeah uh again just one of those things that uh very unlucky all things considered to to play so well to force the other team to make the five point uh hit their five point question then uh you know to to go to sudden death and both members of the time machine ethan and janine were both able to pull out the answer to this question which you know even though it's about mission impossible too fairly deep cut i mean do gray scott not a really w well-known actor you know, it, it, there's definitely a spot of bad luck because they played really well in this match. And of course, they played really well uh, in their tournament match last year uh, when they were defeated. Uh, I think maybe that it was the odd couple who beat them or I can't recall who it was that that knocked them out. But uh, of course, the the gaffe in that match was Alonzo saying uh, Broomhilda instead of Brunhilda as the name of Django's wife and Django Unchained. Well, whichever one it was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, one of those things, difference in the match was a couple of letters. And then this. And that reminds me, it definitely was the odd couple because Jeff Snyder lost his mind to make sure that they got that challenged. <laughs> but you know, as you said a few moments ago, Scott, they will be in the tournament. And I'm happy to see this. You know, this is one of my favorite teams. You know, the match which got me into the Schmodown was watching uh, Rotten Tomatoes play against What the Flick, which was, of course, uh, uh, Christy and Alonzo against uh, against Matt and Gray. Um, and so. 
I owe I owe uh, this podcast, I guess, uh, in part to uh, to Matt Atchity and Alonzo, because, of course, I knew of them beforehand from what the flick. And that's what caused me to to even watch that match in the first place. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of this team. I hope they will get uh, at least one win in this tournament because they have uh, justly deserved a win. Uh, you know, they do have one win, but they have justly deserved a win against, uh, you know, a couple of really good teams, uh, but they just haven't gotten uh, gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean, they're playing the best team. They're, I mean, they're losing by thin margins to the best teams in the league. I, I will say that I believe to give them a, even, I guess, even more credit, it was actually them that pulled the five point question to tie the game because Ethan had answered the, the from dust till dawn and then forcing uh, yeah, them to right. answer the little women, the 1994 little women director, which, you know, maybe that's an easier than average five point question, but uh, splitting hairs probably. Yeah, personally, I, uh, you know, generally, I think asking a director would be, but I found this one be, to be a little bit more difficult. Like I watched that movie, you know, at the start of the summer and I did not could not tell you who the director was. And, you know, knowing that it was Jillian Armstrong now, I mean, that's not not a well-known name. Uh, Little Women, definitely probably the the biggest credit she has to her name. So uh, if you have to ask a director question for a five pointer, I'd say this was probably on the level you would you would want for a five point question. Right. Uh, okay, Scott, uh, before we finish out today's episode, uh, let's talk about some predictions for the month of August. We, of course, have the entire uh, slate for August set now, um, you know, with a, a couple matches still like one competitor to be determined. But uh, we know what will be happening on what date. Um, and let's start with that singles gauntlet that we've talked about. Uh, we're going to have Mike Kalinowski facing off against Ben Bateman. We've already seen some huge trash talk from this match going on on on, uh, on social media. The winner will go on to face Jeff Snyder in a number one contender match. Uh, I imagine whoever comes out of that, there's going to be uh, an equal amount of trash talk going up against Snyder. Uh, these three guys, uh, you know, getting the next shot at Oyama. It's quite a motley crew, I have to say so. Um, but Scott, who do you have coming out of this uh, match between uh, a piece of white bread, Mike Kalinowski, and piece of white bread, Ben Bateman? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, you know, this is a tough one for me because these are two people that are some of my favorites in the Schmodown, and their trash talk has been next level on social media. So I'll give them credit for that. I, you know, it's tough to say. You know, you had Ben Bateman absolutely perform. You know, put in a dominant performance over Andrew Guy at the Houston Live event back in May, uh, and touting his ninety five percent accuracy rate over on social media. But Mike Kalinowski just had a perfect game <laughs> in his last team's match. So it's anyone's game, right? Like anything could happen. I lean in the favor of, of Bateman probably because of my because of my heart and also because, you know, will the, will the pressure of Mikey three belts get to Mike? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But I, I favor Bateman just a little bit here because I think he's he's just as hungry as Mike is for a belt. I think he's just as hungry to prove that you know, he wasn't just team action. He's not just who's the boss. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to no longer be the, the now, uh, what the, the favorite for the best player without a belt title yeah. uh, in the Schmodown. I think he wants, he really wants to shake that off and win a belt. And right now he's closest to winning the singles belt because who's the boss. Well, is going to have to go through the entire team's tournament in order to get to a, get to a title shot again, like they did last year at the ultimate Schmodown. Sorry, at the uh, Schmidt Spectacular last year after winning the Ultimate Schmidt on Teams tournament. So I think they're equally hungry. We'll see who comes out on top. I Part of me 
thinks that Bateman's just slightly better well-rounded than Mike is, but you know, uh, Mike, Mike consistently shows that he is top tier across the board. So I think this could be, you know, one of the closer matches. I mean, hell, maybe it'll end up being a TKO in Mike's favor because we thought that the Janine match was going to be tight. But I am for now going to go with Bateman. Yeah, this is kind of a coin toss for me, but you're going Bateman, then I'll go Kalinowski. I think that, um, you know, Bateman, we've talked about the horseman curse. He will have some pressure on him as well, I think, uh, to to sort of prop the horsemen up because they are struggling a little bit right now. And, you know, Ben, of course, he did have that really momentum boosting boosting win against Andrew Guy. But prior to that, you know, he was struggling a little bit. He really needed that win. And, you know, that win came against not someone you would call a powerhouse probably in the singles division uh, in Andrew Guy. And we haven't seen him since that uh, that match in Houston. Uh, so I just wonder if uh, if maybe his struggles could continue uh, combined with that pressure of the horseman uh, on his back. And uh, if someone who's fresher, like Kalinowski, who's been, you know, all over the place recently, um, can can ultimately pull it out. But like I said, I think this is this is kind of a coin toss on paper, but I will go with Mike for the sake of being different. OK, then uh, moving on to their next match, they'll have to face Jeff Snyder. Who do you like between Bateman and Snyder, Scott? Yeah, between Bateman and Snyder, Snyder's just he's He's a conniving guy. He's one of the probably the best players of the game. He knows how to play it so well. Um, it, he has shown that having Roxy as his manager has done wonders for his the mental side of the game from him. And so I, you know, I used to throw out all the time that you, there's always an asterisk next to a match with Snyder, and it's if he is able to keep his head the whole game. But you know, I think he's getting over that. I, you know, I'll go out on the limb for Snyder and say that I think he's getting over it, and he clearly wants another belt. I think he probably. You know, he wanted that odd cup of belt and he got it with Andrako. I am going to go with Bateman, though. I'm going to go with, and I think that this is true. Even if Mike beats Bateman, I think Mike will beat Snyder. I think whoever comes out of that match between Bateman and Snyder is going to win, or sorry, against Bateman and Kalinowski is going to beat Snyder because in all the odd couple of matches, I think that you've seen that my, that Snyder has just been a little bit weaker than Andrako, never quite as sharp as Andrako. Now it's singles. He's a scrappy guy. He knows how to get W's even when he's not winning even when he's not playing well. So that I don't think that necessarily rules him out. But I think that I what I'm seeing from Kalinowski and Bateman of late, I, I think I'm going to give it uh, you know in their favor, whoever whoever comes out of that match. Yeah, I'm going with, uh, with KO uh, to knock out Snyder. I think the third time will not be the charm for Snyder because, of course, he's never had a singles title shot, amazingly enough, and uh, has this will be his third number one contender shot, I believe. Of course, he lost to Harloff. He lost to Bibiani in that match you alluded to. Uh, and I think the curse is going to continue. Um, he hasn't played in a while. Uh, and maybe having Roxy as his manager, I mean, it's obviously, uh, you know, revitalized him a bit. But uh, I don't know if it's going to be enough against KO. And I think the run that Mikey Three Belts is on right now um, is one to be reckoned with. So I'm going to take KO to move on to face Paul Yama. Uh, and Scott will pick that match here in just a second. But first, uh, let's talk about a team match we're going to get. Uh, between another brand new team that you know you have to think could be a force in the Anarchy tournament or in the Ultimate Showdown rather, uh, William Bibiani uh, and Brendan Meyer, who of course this this was much hyped up for quite a while in the kayfabe that they were going to team up. Yeah. Um, of course, Bibbs and Whitney Seibold broke up, and there's another team we we could uh, see a debut from with Whitney Seibold and Mark Edward Hoyk, the uh, the self righteous brothers who of course were in the uh, the Ultimate Showdown last year, the Anarchy tournament. 
Um, They'll definitely be in the team's tournament. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's another team to factor in in the team equation. But uh, in the meantime, Bibiani and Meyer will be taking on the Scream Queens. Uh, and Scott, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but I feel like this could be a match to qualify for the tournament. But it's possible that the Scream Queens are already in. I don't know. Either way, if you're asking me to predict the match, I'm going to go with the Beast and the Kid. Uh, because I think Haley Fouch is great. Clearly, I keep um, backing her. I backed her against Zipper, even though she did uh, lose. And it was sudden death, so it was obviously a very close match. But I'm, yeah, I, I just think that her partner is too weak to contend with Bibiani and the kid. Now, the Scream Creeds are one of those teams where if they get horror or something horror adjacent in round two, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with if Bibiani and Meyer don't get something in their favor as well because they will completely run the table in, you know, in those categories. So if you see something like that, anything can happen. Uh, and I think that that makes them a, a really fun kind of wild card in the team's division for that reason. But if you're talking holistically, um, chances are that unless that horror slice comes up or unless something close to horror comes up, I don't really see this match going any other way except between this uh, this new team. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I don't have too much to add. I just think they're a much more well-rounded team. Uh, Bibiani, one of the best in the league. Uh, and I think they're going to be too much for Haley, Haley and Kalen. Um, but talking of Haley, Scott, she's also going to be in the live event in New York, which is our, our live event for the month. It'll be right at the end of the month in August 31st at, in New York. And uh, Haley Faust is going to be taking on Ethan Irwin um, in the first match, I believe, of the Ultimate Showdown Singles Tournament. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say, Scott, but who do you like in this match? I like big time. I don't really know if I have much more to add because, you know, he, he's been on a bit of a hiatus from the singles division. Have we even seen him since the live event in singles? Yeah, he was in that triple threat match. That was him, Bibiani, and Roca, and Bibiani right, and won. He, and Bibiani won, that's right. So, yeah. you know, we have not seen very much of him this year. Unlike last year, his debut season, where we saw him a bunch in the first half of the season, even before the, the ultimate. I mean, obviously, he lost that number one contenders match to Andreco, but, you know, we were seeing him, it felt like, every single month, if not more frequently than that, in the lead-up to the Ultimate Showdown singles tournament, where he was also uh, a contender at. But to me, it's just like, it's only one way, right? Haley, I do like Haley. I back her. I keep saying that. But Ethan is Ethan. And to me, he's still, I think I still think he's the best player in the league. I think he's better than Dan. And I think you're going to see that again in the singles tournament. Yeah, I mean, as much as I talk about how I'd like to see an upset in the Ultimate Showdown, I think it would be a shame uh, if we don't see big time at his best because it has been so long. And I think, uh, you know, he, he's such a strong player um, and he's definitely uh, going to be a force to be reckoned with in the tournament. He's going to be somebody nobody wants to face. And I really think a lot of things would have to go wrong for him if he was going to lose this match. And a lot of things would have to go right for Haley. A good player, though, she is. Um, so I'm also going with Ethan Irwin. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and I don't. I, you know, I wouldn't go that far as to say as long as like a lot of things have to go wrong, because, again, if Haley gets horror, you know, she's staring down an automatic eight points almost. Right. So it, sometimes it comes down to a little bit of luck. But I would expect Ethan to have, you know, a couple points lead after round one. And it, then it will come down to uh, I think the match will be decided on whether Haley can create some breathing room for round three with a round two spin of horror. Or something like yeah, that. that's a fair point. I just think. If you're going down to round three, I can't see her maybe like pulling out a five pointer in a category that's not one of her specialties. Agreed. No, 100% agree. Like all, all across the board, Ethan's the favorite in the match. Yeah. Like not even close. But I'm saying I can conceive 
a situation that's not too outlandish yeah. of her being in a position to win the match. Now, whether or not she would win the match, and that, that that's you know that's a different question. But uh, it, I don't think it would be crazy if Ethan had like was pushed to the end if Haley were to get some things that went in her favor. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, okay, Scott, last match to pick: singles title match in New York. Uh, you have Ben Bateman coming out of that gauntlet. Do you think he can take out Paul Oyama? You know, Scott, as much as I would love to say that Ben that I think Ben Bateman could beat Paul Oyama, I don't think he can. I don't. I can't pick him for it. I think if that is how it turns out, I think that Paul will have the edge. I think that Paul will retain the belt. I think that what you saw is that Paul can play well from behind. He knows how to uh, play from behind. But he also knows how to play from with with a lead. He knows how to put matches away. We've seen him do that in singles matches before the title match. And so I don't really see Ben Ben winning the title off of him. And maybe I'm saying that just to uh, to to jinx it. And that therefore Ben will win the title because I really want him to win the singles title. Uh, we'll we'll see if how that how that works out for me this time next month. But I, I'd, I'd have to pick Paul. Yeah, um, you know I think whoever Paul faces. Uh, of the three people that he are his potential opponents, you know, they're going to try to play mind games. They're big personalities. They like to talk trash and get in people's head. And I've just seen nothing so far from Paul to suggest that he's going to be rattled by that. Um, I think, you know, whereas you might see a, a Roka or even we talked about a Kevin Smets potentially getting uh, sort of swept up in the the passion and the emotion of the match. Paul Oyama is, does not seem like that type of guy. Uh, he's been nothing but cool as a cucumber this whole time, even when he was losing to Dan uh, in that title match. And I think whoever he faces, uh, they're not going to be able to play psychological games with him. And I like him against any of these three people. You know, I have KO um, coming out of the the gauntlet, but uh, I think whoever it is, I, I do like Paul to retain the belt uh, in New York. I think uh, he's been incredibly impressive so far, and I, I see his run continuing. I will say that I, I get I actually rate Snyder and Kalinowski with a better chance of beating Paul just because of the kind of players that they are that maybe that's just a weird thing. I don't even know if I can even express it better than that. But I just think I just don't think Bateman and Oyama matches up well for Bateman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, I think that's that's an interesting point. You know, I think it's not always about who's the best player as it is, uh, you know, who, who matches up the best against uh, a certain person. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a good point that, you know, maybe there, maybe Bateman is the strongest player, but uh, maybe the other two would be, would be better matchups because of their strengths and weaknesses or, or something like that. Yeah. And also to the point about getting rattled, like we haven't seen Paul get rattled. We haven't really seen anyone effectively try to play mind games with him either. So I think that Mike and Snyder will be better at playing are better at playing mind games with their opponents at this point. I think Bateman's shtick, of course, is the, you know, pretending like he doesn't know the answer. I don't think that gets to people anymore. Yeah, that's probably true. And I don't think it would get to Paul, but uh, Scott, we will see. It should be a great month of August in the Schmodown. Uh, and we hope that you will join us uh, at the end of August for our next Champs Lunch. Uh, but until then, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Champs Lunch for July 2019. Uh, if you have, don't forget to check out our other podcasts here in this feed. Uh, some like it, Scott, of course, we're putting out weekly movie reviews uh, and, uh, you know, stay tuned for our, our Star Wars countdown, which is coming uh, within the next couple of months. We'll be rewatching and reviewing all of the Star Wars films uh, with our special guest, Jay Habib. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. Uh, in addition to new episodes of Chance Lunch, which, of course, 
will be coming out every month. Don't forget about our Patreon page, Media Plug Pods uh, slash or patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, and don't forget to rate review and subscribe as well. Uh, and to join us next time. Uh, but until then I'm Scott Harvey for Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Champs lunch.